Welcome to the Big Unlock Podcast, your leading source of info for insights and best practices in digital health and digital transformation. Join host Patty Padmanabhan, CEO of Demo Consulting and co-author of Healthcare Digital Transformation, how technology, consumerism, and pandemic are accelerating the future in conversation with leading practitioners of healthcare and technology. This podcast is sponsored by HealthNext, the enterprise-class virtual care platform from Tech Mahindra Health and Life Sciences. Hello again, and welcome back to my podcast. This is Patty, and it is my great privilege and honor to introduce my special guest today, Stephanie Lahr, CIO and CMIO for Monument Health in South Dakota. Stephanie, thank you so much for setting aside the time and welcome to the show. Thanks, Patty. I'm super excited to be here. You're most welcome. So why don't we get started with this? Maybe you can tell us uh, for the benefit of our listeners a little bit about Monument Health and the populations you serve. And I understand you're also affiliated to the Mayo Clinic in some way. Maybe you can talk about that too. Sure, happy to. So Monument Health is a not-for-profit healthcare system based in Rapid City, South Dakota. We serve most of Western South Dakota, parts of Eastern Wyoming, and a little a bit of East of Northern Nebraska as well. We have five hospitals, three of which are critical access, over 40 clinic locations. We participate in caring for most medical specialties other than transplant and complex pediatric care. We have long-term care facilities, home health, pharmacy services as well. So a pretty broad spectrum of comprehensive care uh, serving a, a relatively rural environment. It's several hundred miles between us and really any other substantial healthcare center. So with respect to our relationship with the Mayo Clinic, we are part of the Mayo Clinic Care Network which is a designation we are really proud of and has been in place for just about a year. As a member of the Mayo Clinic Care Network, we have special access to Mayo Clinic's knowledge and resources. Our physicians and clinicians have an opportunity to collaborate with their clinicians, basically in an effort to, again, in in a rural setting, allow our patients to get more of the care that they need and be able to stay close to home while we take advantage of that additional resource set and at no additional cost to our patients. And you mentioned rural a couple of times, and I'll come back to the theme uh, because that may be uh, a defining or a unique uh, attribute of your health system and the populations that you serve. Uh, but I wanted to ask you uh, briefly about your your title and your role. You, you have an unusual role. You are both CIO and CMIO for the health system. Can you maybe describe briefly the scope of your responsibilities and where digital initiatives fit within the organizational context. Sure, absolutely. So first of all, I am an internal medicine physician by background. I came to what was regional health, now Monument Health, about four and a half years ago. And I was recruited to come here as the CMIO to lead the clinical aspects of an EHR replacement across the entire health system. The CIO that I reported to at that time began to make plans for his retirement shortly after our go live. And the CEO really saw the value in having a clinical leader with knowledge of technology as the best fit 
to lead the information technology division moving forward, given that there's such a tight integration and rapid evolution of technology as an enabler and transformer of healthcare. And so it was sort of decided that a combination role of CIO, where I have the responsibilities for the strategy and the management of the tools that we use across the health system to enable care delivery and business efficiency, et cetera, be combined with my clinical knowledge, my background in informatics, to then be able to leverage those skills together to make sure we were really choosing the the right tools at the right time to solve the right problems. And fortunately, given that broad scope, I have a super great team who helps me keep all those responsibilities in motion. So more specifically, all of the, the caregivers and technology that surrounds everything from our telephone systems to our data centers, to our EHR and third-party systems, to our PAC system, to our financial and revenue cycle systems, report through me. The one thing that doesn't report through me directly is our enterprise intelligence group. They uh, report through our chief performance officer, which was another decision that was made at the time that I took on both of these roles. A, A very close friend and colleague and partner of mine who was also within the IT division at the time became our chief performance officer. And so our enterprise intelligence and analytics lives under her direct authority, but our teams work super collaboratively together. And that's been something that's worked quite well for the last couple of years. Now, that's very, that's very helpful context. And you mentioned that uh, the technology environment is evolving rapidly. COVID, I hear, has accelerated uh, technology-enabled transformation from years to months. Uh, I hear all the time that what was expected to take five years through transformation has effectively taken place in five months. Can you talk a little bit about how COVID-19 has impacted the pace of transformation at Monument Health, and maybe talk about one or two initiatives that you've launched specifically in response to the pandemic? Yeah, this is, I think, such a great question because it really allows us to highlight some of the powerful and positive things that have come from such a challenging and and difficult situation and a situation that is still so rapidly evolving. So what was interesting for us, coincidentally, around the time that this all sort of came to the forefront in March, we had just brought a big team together and brought in a consultant. And some of this, again, flavored by the landscape of both the financial licensing, all of the different kinds of complexities that go on in creating the environment in which we are able to do things that we do. We put together a telehealth strategy. And what we were really looking at was a two-year plan. And within about a week of that big meeting of bringing everyone together, we suddenly had a two-week plan. And uh, within about five days, we had every specialty across the entire health system live with telehealth visits. Now, there's certainly room for optimization of the tools and the workflows that we're using within telehealth, but it was a really exciting time for us to see just what we could do when everybody was rowing in the same direction and had a common goal. So that's one really exciting example that I'm proud to share. That story is so familiar to me when I talk to health systems executives across the board. The order of magnitude of the change, the number of telehealth visits, uh, the increase you know, in the immediate wake of the pandemic. That is, uh, and across the board, it's been a 
dramatic change, but for the most part, everyone seems to have pulled through. And to your point, I think optimizing uh, the technology environment is a is an ongoing process. And so I, I guess over time, it'll all settle down. What about the remote workforce? Can you talk a little yeah. bit about that? How did you enable them? Yeah, absolutely. So my team, the IT team, had already been sort of transitioning toward a work-from-home model part-time. This was really advantageous to the whole organization. We didn't realize how sort of lucky we were to have already been making those moves because we had established a really strong foundation for the technology that was needed and where the bumps in the road might be. Living in a rural geography, one of the things I often talk about, you know, some of our physicians as we talk about wanting to do telehealth visits from home and things like that, I remind people, I sometimes have physicians and other caregivers who live between two slabs of granite here in the Black Hills. And um, that can create some some obstacles when it comes to having (laughs) connectivity and those kinds of things. But we already had experience working through some of those challenges. We had a robust virtualized desktop environment. So from a security perspective, from a workflow perspective, even from a policy perspective, we had done a lot of the work with HR and compliance and, and those teams to have a foundation. So that was actually almost too easy for us. It didn't even really take a lot of effort. It was more just in a matter of figuring out, okay, who else beyond the IT team needs to work from home? What additional hardware might they need in order to do so? And we've been really successfully enabling several hundred of our both clinical, but not directly patient-facing caregivers, as well as many of our corporate service caregivers, to be able to work successfully from home for the last seven months. And I I really don't know that I see those teams ever coming back to our physical spaces in the way that they used to be in our spaces before. So that certainly has been a really positive thing. I think a lot of our caregivers have appreciated that opportunity, both from the standpoint of how it impacts their personal ability to make decisions in their own personal safety and how how much they want to be you know, interacting and around other people, depending on what their personal situations are. It also is something that has allowed us to have our caregivers adapt to so many of the other cultural things that have happened in the landscape of the fabric of our society, you know, everything from schools and our other support systems, whether that's daycare or other childcare options, have all become more complex. And having opportunities to be able to keep people productive and working successfully at home, I think is a huge win and something I think that is here to stay. That's such a great example. When people talk about uh, telehealth and virtual care models, they're uh, mostly talking about how you deliver care to your patients, you know, in a very direct kind of interactive kind of way. But this is a great example of how you're actually enabling your remote workers, you know, caregivers, clinicians, using uh, technology to work just as effectively as they would if they were on campus. And that's that's a great example, actually, of uh, digital transformation, too. It's just that one doesn't normally get to hear about what happens in the back end of uh, technology-enabled care delivery and they're mostly focused on the front end. So thank you for sharing that. Let's switch topics a little bit. I'd like to talk a little bit about your CMIO role. Can you maybe share what are some of your top priorities as CMIO today, especially in a post-COVID era? 
Yeah. So I will tell you that during the time period of the early days, as we were trying to understand kind of clinically how all this was going to come together. And actually for us, because we've had a bit of a delay in sort of the pandemic impacts on our numbers and are really seeing probably higher numbers now than we really have ever before. It's a very interesting experience to be a physician who is not on the front lines. And so it has been really, really important to me to offer to my colleagues, but you know, both the physicians as well as the other clinical team members, tools that can help them help patients and also keep them as safe as possible. So telehealth is one of those options. I think it's traditional, you know, some of the more common things that we think about telemedicine as far as a patient being at home and a physician being either at home or in their office and being able to, you know, maintain that relationship and the connectedness, which is wonderful. But in our hospitals, you know, there are really challenging situations that we're asking our clinical caregivers to walk into every day. And if there are elements with technology that I can use to help them monitor a larger group of patients with a smaller number of caregivers or providers, or that would allow them to have safe interactions with those patients, where instead of having to go into a patient's room two, three, or four, five times a day, they may be able to go in just once or twice. That has been, you know, really, really very important to me to make sure that I was supporting my colleagues in that way. Bigger picture, you know, than that and kind of outside response to the pandemic, I think that we are seeing more than ever that clinical care, it's hard work. It's emotionally hard work. It's physically hard work. It's intellectually hard work. And the people that are providing that care need all the tools they can get to make them good at their job. They've all, whether we're talking about nurses or therapists or physicians, they've all gone through years of training and specialization and licensing to be the best that they can be. And we have so many great tools available and burgeoning tools available to really help augment what they're capable of doing because the data sets that are available are not getting any smaller the human mind is not getting any bigger and the day is not getting any longer. And so how do we really help people be efficient, avoid burnout? The whole other aspect, I think that's really exciting right now that I feel needs both my combination of my clinical background as well as the technology side um, and informatics is that of patient engagement. And how do we engage with our patients to take on more responsibility in, in their own healthcare, to encourage them and educate them and move them toward a more positive future? And then just in general, you know, all healthcare systems have an opportunity to improve quality and efficiency. And one of the underpinnings of that being, you know, a strong data and analytics framework. I talked a little bit about our partnership with Enterprise Intelligence and creating a lot of transparency around that data. You know, there we really need to be transparent 
both within the healthcare system about what we're doing and where our opportunities are for improvement. We need to be transparent with our patients about how we're doing and how they, um, the information that's related to their care. And, you know, I, I sort of feel like data is the language of transparency. That's the thing that's going to get us to the transparency where we can all be kind of on the same playing field is when we have widely available and accessible data. Yeah. You mentioned patient engagement, and that is something we talk about a lot on the show, especially at Digital Front Doors. But before I get there, I just wanted to go back to the theme of your rural populations. From a CMIO standpoint, I imagine that uh, you've been managing your uh, chronic populations and other high-risk populations remotely for a while, because that is just the nature of your of your landscape. How has the pandemic changed any of that, uh, especially from a technology enablement standpoint? Yeah, it's very interesting. As you mentioned, because of the nature of being as rural as we are, we have to manage patients who are not right next to us. They may be hundreds of miles from us. But I'll be perfectly honest, until really recently, we were doing that with pretty antiquated tools, right? Mostly telephone calls, paper flyers, questionnaires. And there are a few a few reasons for that. We still are in our area, still in a relatively heavy fee-for-service model. And as we move into value-based care, there's more resources available to sort of prioritize how we do this chronic disease management strategy. And so we've been slowly working our way there. But I think for a long time, even though we were doing it and we knew we weren't using the right tools to do it, we had some degree of analysis paralysis around just executing on what are the tools that would help, right? Because there's so many out there. Well, here's the benefit of this one. Here's the benefit of that one. Which one and which group wants to use it and how are we going to manage it and how are we going to standardize? And then a year and a half goes by and you haven't made any changes. And so one of the really, you know, again, fantastic things to see come out of the pandemic is we now know what we can do in a super short period of time. And there is no wasting a year and a half with analysis paralysis. So another example of, of things that we did, our CEO came to me just shortly after things got started in the spring and said, hey, Stephanie, we really need something for the community. They have lots of questions. We're working on the website and you know that's going to be one element of it, but they might need more support than that. We need to funnel them to the right location. Do they need a televisit? Do they need an in-person visit? Should they go to the emergency room? If they need testing, how are we going to set them up for it? What can we do? So I, I brought back some options a lot of which were actually kind of a quick outsourcing opportunity. And she said, well, I don't think we can afford that. What else can we do? And so five days later, we went live with a nurse triage that is clinically managed by myself and my ambulatory medical information officer who works for me. And I pulled all of my nurses out of clinical informatics and they all started answering phones. And we created a COVID-19 nurse triage line. And we created an opportunity for patients to call and interact with us and ask questions. And in some cases, just get counseling, just get reassurance that everything was okay. And then we took it a step further 
And we rolled out some functionality within our electronic medical record system to be able to do remote monitoring of these patients. And so through the use of, you know, some thermometers and devices to be able to check their their pulse ox, their oxygen levels, and then some tools that we use through our patient portal, we're able to manage a really large number of people who are sick with COVID-19, but not sick enough to be in the hospital, Mm -hmm. but are still scared and still have questions. We monitor them every day. We get this information back into the system. We feed it up to other areas when necessary, recontact those patients when necessary. And so now we're looking at, you know, this was something again, that was created essentially out of IT as a temporary process to get us through, you know, put in air quotes, kind of this crisis situation, which we now realize is no longer a crisis situation. It's more just a part of the fabric of of our lives. And how do we morph that into something that we can maintain and sustain and expand? So some really great things that we're working on there, one one of which is, you know, next week, we're going to be rolling out a new tool where instead of needing to call and interact with us to, for example, schedule testing, if that's something that you need to do, you'll be able to go to a secure interactive portal on our website, whether or not you have a, a patient portal account or a MyChart account, and look at the, the schedules across the geography of our health system, find the one that's most convenient for you, and schedule your own test. And you don't have to interact with anyone. Um, and then you drive up to that location and you're able to get your test. We have methods then to be able to get you your results. And again, then if you're positive, we can offer you a home monitoring program. So we're working on both the combination of the workflows as well as the tools that allow us to do that. But this is really the first time we've taken a system approach to doing it. It's been very educational for the whole organization to see how centralizing this can be of benefit to everyone. And now we're really starting to look as we get a handle on this, what are those other areas like diabetes management, heart failure, and some of those other chronic disease kind of situations that you mentioned, where we know we've got patients that live on a farm 75 miles you know, out of town, and they're not going to come in. So how do we interact with them where they're at? Very interesting examples, now, especially the one where you talk about uh, repurposing your nurses towards a, a nurse triaging uh, function for the near term, at least. Now, that that's a segue into some of the automation opportunities and and digital engagement opportunities that when I talk to other health systems executives, I see them investing in. So you talked about patient engagement. So if we look at, uh, you know, digital patient engagement, besides telehealth, which which we've talked about, what are some of the other opportunities you're looking at from, uh, especially from an access standpoint? And the example of the tool that you gave for scheduling COVID-19 tests is fantastic. What other opportunities are you looking at? Could you give us a sense of what you're thinking about right now? Yeah. So some of the things that we are looking at are tools that will allow our patients and their families to get updates on things that are happening, particularly when you look at the inpatient environment for hospitalized patients or patients that are going through surgery. Right now, we limit the number of visitors even when we're not limiting the visitors, again, if your family lives 100 miles from here, they 
likely are not going to be all coming to Rapid City, for example, when you have your surgery or if you're hospitalized. So we are looking at some tools that help keep both the family and the patient, depending on the scenario, up to date on what's happening and creating sort of automated tools where as different elements happen and different progress is made, that it automatically lets people know that we've had, you know, sort of a successful transition to a next stage, but also allows for personalization so that if there are things that need to be more specifically shared or discussed with a patient's family, we can have a portal and a way to be able to share that information. So that's one, I think, really major opportunity that's a combination of using some automation, but also bringing in the personalization. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to be really key in healthcare as we look to automation is how do we maintain a personal experience using automated tools so that, again, our teams can do more. We can take care of more people, but it still feels personalized. I think you know, there are a lot of great tools out there. I look to the airline industry. There are some cool things that they do, you know, when they, when their call volumes are high, when they need to make adjustments to things and the way they communicate with us is all become very automated. It's not super personal, but we don't have an expectation really that the airlines interact with us in a very personalized way. We have to take it a step further in healthcare. We can leverage the same tools that they are using, but we have to push them to go a little bit farther so that when they reach a certain point or a certain scenario develops, we can add personalization into it as well. So we don't lose that connectedness with our with our patient population. Yeah, that's so well yeah. said. Okay, we are uh, coming up to the end of our time here, Stephanie, and I'd love to close out with one more question. You've had to live through some dramatic changes in the wake of COVID and there's some fascinating examples you've shared uh, with us. If you had one best practice that has emerged from this experience that you would like to share with your peers in other health systems, what would it be? Yeah, this, I think this is really poignant at this time. For me, where I'm at and what I'm talking with my teams about a lot right now is it's time to change our focus from optimization to transformation. As a leader in healthcare IT, it's not only appropriate, but essential for us to take the lead. I think we over time have been reluctant, even as a physician, I at times will set myself aside and say, well, operations, you know, really has to own and has to lead this. Absolutely. You have to have a strong, strong partnership, but the reality is operations is trying to operate the business today they don't necessarily have the the time and the skills and the connections to understand what else is out there to change the work that we're doing today from one kind of work to another and really transform it. And so it's time to just, the optimization work will always be there, but we've got to start thinking transformation, transformation, transformation. And we have to, as IT leaders, be willing to lead that charge tightly, tightly connected to our clinical and operational counterparts. But we really have to take the lead. Well, that is so well said. 
I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it there. We've run out of time, but it's been such a fascinating conversation. Uh, Stephanie, thank you so much once again for setting aside the time and all the very best to you and your team. I look forward to staying in touch. Absolutely. Thanks so much. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We invite you to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Healthcare Digital Transformation Leader. Write to us at info at thebigunlock.com with your feedback and questions. 